Well, we're going to start with something interesting this morning. Uh, I came across a new Jesus song, and I was really kind of struck by the lyrics, so I want to share them with you. Is that okay? All right, what are those lyrics we got? All right, you ready? God, show me the way, because the devil is trying to break me down. Jesus walks with me, with me, with me. The only thing that I pray is that, uh, I don't know if that word's spelled right, it might be, uh, that me fit, me fit, that me fit, don't fail me now. It's Yiddish, I think. Um, I'm, I'm a changed man, healed, delivered, made rich, and it's all because of him. Would you say amen to that? It comes from the prophet Kanye West. If you don't know who that is, it's probably good. <laughs> don't look him up. I'm not a Kanye West fan. I'm really not. If I were, I wouldn't be afraid to tell you. Okay, but for some reason, I happen to hear these lines. Now, what's so amazing about this is that this sounds a lot like many worship songs that I've heard before, actually. I mean, truly. We're stumbling. We're just praying that we can make it through. Uh, Lord, if you weren't walking with me, I don't know what I would do, right? Um, and it's through Christ that I've been healed and delivered and made rich. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath, right? If you said amen, I was kind of tricking you a little bit. <laughs> this is an example of how easy it is for us to just take a small deviation from Scripture and to begin to see how far it goes, the farther we take it. Now, you say, what's wrong with this stuff? Now, if you really wanted to argue with me, there are a few ways you could argue that most of these statements are true. But the point I'm making is this, that we are starting on the wrong foot. For example, is it Jesus who walks with us, or as disciples, is it us who follows him? Now, that's a, it sounds small. Well, you're kind of like, you know, trying to split hairs here, Pastor Devin. Kind of and kind of not. There's a big difference between Jesus going with me wherever I want to go. He goes with me into all my endeavors. He goes with me into everything I choose to do. He goes with me into the big hole of poop I found myself in because of my terrible decisions. But Jesus walks with me. It's a different thing when you say, Jesus is Lord and I follow him. It's a different thing when the scriptures say that we are to bear his cross and follow him daily. If I were leading, there's a different place we would go than if he were leading. Not many of you would go, hey, so what do I want to do this morning? I want to pick up a cross, and I want to die to myself every day. That's where I want to go. And Jesus, you can come with me. <laughs> Didn't think so. Okay. I've been healed and delivered and set free. Kind of. Who here has loved ones who have experienced sickness or pain disease, or even death, and they wanted to experience that now, but they haven't. Now, the truth is, is that it's all in Christ, correct? But the truth is, is that the entire hope that we live on is something called a hope, and the Bible says that a hope is when you put all of your expectation in something you cannot see, meaning it's not here yet. Now, there are amazing times when the kingdom of God and the goodness of the power in Jesus will break through into the present. But the entire faith of being a Christian is having to trust that it will in the end. 
correct? Now, what happens if you start on the foot that says everything of God is here now? You are being set up for disappointment. But if you start on the foot that says everything I'm living for is on the other end of this life, I'm ready to do what the Scriptures call me to do. I'm ready to walk in faithful obedience. You will be hard-pressed to show me how the apostles were healed, delivered, and made rich. When they are hanging on a cross, bleeding to death, every one of them except for John, which he gets it easy. He dies alone on an island. Much better. Oh, no amen. Now, it's not that these things don't exist. I have experienced these things and seen these things, but it's about which foot we start on because it seems like a small adjustment, but these things begin to go somewhere vastly different. I've been made rich in Christ. Kanye, I have a hard time believing that the man who's married to Kim Kardashian is talking about spiritual riches. Would you like to argue with me about that? But it says, we, you know, he, for our sake, became poor. Absolutely. Is he talking about earthly money? In Matthew 6, it says that we're supposed to store up all of our riches in a place where moth and rust cannot touch it. <laughs> Is that talking about like a really good bank? Real estate. Is that what we're talking about here? The kingdom of heaven. Correct. Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom. Put all of your treasures, things that matter most, in that place. Do you see how which foot we start on dramatically dictates where we end up? Are you seeing this? Now, again, you could argue with me almost every one of those things. There are times whenever Christ will move in our lives to to provide finances. There are times when He will move in our bodies to bring healing, and there are times where He's going to bring us uh, out of a situation. And for all of us who put our faith in Christ, He will bring us into salvation, which is through death into life without end. You can argue with me about all these things, right? But how you start, how you see it, even how you word it, it's all about affecting where you're going to end up. Now, I want to start this morning because I want to hit home again about why we have to make the table so central. Why is this so important? You know, um, we've gone through this. This is going to be the fourth week. It's going to be the last sermon I do here on, on the table, on communion, on Eucharist, the Lord's table. Um, and Eucharist is something that we have to center the faith in because inside of this practice, it grounds everything on the right footing, meaning if we start here, the odds of us missing the mark down the road are much smaller than if we start anywhere else. Now, um, I'm starting classes for me start back here in September. I'm working on a graduate uh, degree in theology. Sounds exciting. It's absolutely not. It's, It's extremely boring. But the one thing I get to do is I get to sit down with all these different ideas and thoughts about Christianity and Jesus throughout all of history. And the one common thread that I've seen in all of them 
is if you start with a specific verse or an idea about God, if you don't start at Jesus, at his body broken, his blood shed, you can end up a million different places. You can interpret the scriptures to say almost anything you want them to say. It's amazing. And as we talked about before, if our understanding alone is what the rest of our faith is based on, we're going to be strapped. It's going to be a little bit difficult for us to make sure that we kind of walk this right path. But there's something that goes beyond books and texts. There's something that goes down to the very essence of what it means to be human, to taste, to experience, to smell, to touch, to see. And that's why the central practice of Christians for all of history, all the way back to the Last Supper with Jesus, was a meal. He was saying, you know, you might not ever have the best theology, you might not ever go to seminary, you might not ever, you know, have all these spiritual giftings, you might not ever go into missions all the way to the ends of the earth, but the one thing that I can guarantee that you can do at all levels is eat and drink. And if I could just get you to center in this, you're going to be able to follow all the correct steps. And so for us this, this week, when we talk about Eucharist, we're talking about this. The Eucharist at the table is where we see the entire Christian faith stripped down to its bare bones. What I love about this meal is that of all the things that God chose to make a meal out of, He made it out of bread and juice. Grain and grape, if you would. And what's interesting is in Rome at this time, the gods in Rome, they ate and drank also. See, the offerings that you would bring to these gods are very elaborate. They would drink nectar and mirth. And you're all going, what in the world are you talking about? Exactly, it's rare. It's expensive. It's exquisite. It's complex. It's sophisticated. It's, it's, it's expensive. It's, it's rare. It's, it's something that only the gods can have, right? But the meal of our God is something that the most common peasant is able to scrounge up, right? Bread and juice. He takes all the mysteries of the entire universe and he ties them up in this. And so what happens here is the entire Christian faith is stripped to its most bare bones. Here's what it is. At this table, we are reminded that God loves us. That the love of God is expressed to us most purely, most clearly in His willingness to allow His body to be broken for us and His blood to be spilled for us. God loves us. And from this kind of a centering reality of who I am and how God views me, how God expresses Himself to me, his broken body, his shed blood. From this place, I am now taken to the next step. The first is God loves me, and the second is this. If I love God back, I'm going to take the same expression to you. My body broken, my blood shed. And you go, okay, we're good. Wow, that's, that was rough. Okay. It should scare you a little bit. And so the imitation of Jesus, meaning to, to accept the love of God to, to fill you fully, has only one expression. To be someone who fully allows God to love you means that you are now someone who cannot help but love the person next to you. 
Do you see this? This is the bare bones of Christianity. We're not talking about the end times. We're not talking about, you know, when Jesus returns. We're not talking about, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. We're not talking about the complexities of the Trinity. We're just talking about the bare bones. What do you have to get to follow Jesus? If I had to strip this car down, which is Christ, I had to strip it all the way down. What is the most fundamental, essential part of following Jesus? That he loves me this way, and if I love him back, I will love you the same. Do you get it? And this is why this meal, this practice is central in everything that we do. What's so amazing about this is that if you start from this very basic principle and build outward, it's amazing what you begin to see. Because, see, Christianity in its most stripped-down form begins to challenge the Christianity that most of us have. I'll just say this. You know, healing is great. Who would like to experience some healing? Okay, we're all good. No need for health insurance here, right? Obamacare, you don't need it? Okay. We don't want no Obamacare. This is Arkansas, right? Amen? Okay, I'm sorry. Healing is great, but you know what? So is food. Miracles are great. So is forgiveness. Salvation is great, but so is acceptance. And the Scriptures are great, but so is kindness. Again, I'm trying to show you the flip side. I'm trying to show you what the table does to us. We want to run to all of the big things. Whoa. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, Michael. I heard your little giggle. But he wants to bring us back to the bread. He wants to bring us back to the juice. I remember how, how excited I was whenever I realized that the Bible was a complicated book. When I realized that you could actually study it and, and learn things that you could only learn from studying. When I realized that, that prayer, that you could spend hours in prayer and you might be able to experience things that people who didn't couldn't. If they're saying something about my nature, I apologize. I'm extremely competitive, Okay. But uh, that's why Christ called me to be a Razorback fan. Amen? There we go. We're all alive. We all made it, kind of. Mercy. And I remember whenever I began to read the Gospels, I just didn't like Jesus very much. Oh, everyone's like, Really? Was anyone else like that here? Like, you love the Apostle Paul. He was awesome. He made all his, like, really, you know, great statements about things. He was so clear. Here's what you do. Here's what this is. You know that Jesus, he makes everything complicated. But Paul, he just lays it all out there. I mean, like, was there anybody else? No one. Okay. I didn't <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I don't want to say I didn't like Jesus. <laughs> it's the church. I just didn't like him. Because everything about Jesus was just... It just brought me back to people. <laughs> Why does that even matter, Jesus? Who cares about these people? Just me and you, brother. You know, I mean, who cares about these people? Goodness gracious. 
you know? And, and so, like, I try to zone in on his teachings. Oh, that's be something really great here, you know? And I'd I be kind of trying to study it, trying to devour it. And then all of a sudden, I just couldn't escape the fact that in the same place that I'm trying to, to find something deep, he's eating with people. I ignore that. Okay, no, okay, here, signs and wonders. He's multiplying. His bread being multiplied. Oh, oh, yeah, they're eating again. What in the world? He's resurrected from the dead. He's walking again. This is amazing. This is the power of the cross of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. This is amazing. He's, he's making them fish, and they're going to eat again. <laughs> what is happening? Maybe I'll go to the beginning. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go to the beginning. Okay. Okay, well, uh, okay, he's a nobody. And then his first miracle, he turns water to wine. Everyone goes, no, we don't believe that one. That was grape juice. He brought the really strong grape juice to the party, right? Okay. Okay, well, forget that. His ministry hadn't even really officially started yet. Okay, so let, let's fast forward beyond that one. Okay, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. He goes all the way back to the prophets, to Isaiah. This is where it all is. And then he gets tempted to turn stones to bread. Do you see a theme? Stinking bread and juice shows up everywhere. Oh, look, talking sin now. This is what I'm talking about. Why are you letting that woman on your feet? She's a prostitute. And then he has her take a seat to do what? Eat again. Ridiculous. <laughs> He's about to die, and it's the last words, it's the last moments of Jesus. And what's he want to do? Go prepare tables. Time for a meal. <laughs> what in the world? Everything about following Jesus centrals on the meal, not because it's about bread and juice, because it is a practice that forces us to see what following Jesus is all about. People. See, God doesn't need to eat and drink, right? Who knows what angels do? That's my spirit, man, it lives on the Word of God alone, right? Who needs that bread and juice? But after about 40 days, I might die. <laughs> There's something in this world that has to eat and drink to survive. Hmm, what is it? People. People. And so this meal strips down this faith to the most basic points of it. And it comes down to this. If I am someone who allows God to love me, there's only one place that I turn. I begin to love the people around me. And when that fact hit me, I really did have to reconsider my future. I thought, you know what? I always plan to be in the ministry in a different form. I never wanted to be a pastor, okay? And I thought, man, if this is really what this faith is about, maybe I don't want to do this for a living. Like, maybe I need to find some other way to hide from this reality. Because this sounds a lot more painful than I thought it was going to be. But the more I read, I, I thought, oh, I don't even know if I can be a Christian without doing this. Now, that's just not fair. I need to be a Buddhist. Okay, come on. Bunch of extroverts, I guess, right? Now, what happens here at this, at this table, it not only centers us in the heart 
of what it means to follow Jesus, the heart of what it means to express the love of God to people, to flesh, to bodies, to warm bodies. What it does is this, as we, as we walk in obedience, what we are doing is we are acting out the new creation. We are acting out the way the world is going to operate when Christ returns, okay? The Gospels, every time Jesus opens his mouth with a kingdom, he's talking about how he is going to remake this world into a place that looks like this. He describes it as the kingdom. And so when he does his parables, we teach him the kingdom, he's saying, when I am king, the world will function this way. And what happens here as followers of Christ, when we sit down at the table, what we're doing is, is we're saying, the world isn't that way yet. There's still murder and rape and war and famine and hurricanes and fires and death and abuse. The world isn't that yet because Jesus isn't yet here to remake all of that. But in this circle, here, 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 Jesus is Lord and he is present. So even though the world hasn't tasted that yet, we are going to operate, we're going to live, we're going to act out the way the world will be for all eternity, right here around this table. And there's, at some point, it shifts from going through the motions, from forcing yourself to come up, from eating that stale bread, from drinking that juice, somewhere in this, it shifts from acting it out. It's almost like a play. We act it out. In faith, we are trying to, to walk this out. Ooh, I can't stand this person, Whew, but I forgive them at the table. Whew, I let it go. I am broke, and there is no finances, okay? Yeah, I haven't been made rich yet, Whew, but I trust you. I'm sick in my body. I'm dying, and I don't know why, but I know that on the other end, I'm going to be okay. And you know what? I also believe that that reality can break into this one. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to leave it at the table. And we begin to come to this table and we begin to, in faith, trusting God, say we don't even know that this is really it, but we're going to trust and act it out here. And there's a, a shift where we go from doing acts in obedience to where the presence of God shows up and begins to make our faith reality. It can be something mystical and amazing and spiritual, like someone with cancer gets healed, or it can be something just organic and earthy and real um, in the sense that it almost seems ordinary, like forgiving someone who you didn't think that, you, that you'd ever be able to be in the same room with them again. Because at this table, everything that separates and divides has to be laid down. Everything. Everything. We opened up the morning in Corinthians, and it's the famous passage about how, you know, those who don't discern the body of Christ, and they begin to take communion, have, have the threat of death. What's happening in this passage is these people are taking the Lord's meal, and they're turning it into their own sex. They're taking one table and separating it to make multiple tables. They're creating cliques. They're closing circles. They are they're taking the Lord's table and they're doing what they want to with it. And the ultimate sin that we see taking place here is we see division. We see those with money begin to eat. And so those with money, he, he referenced them, you guys get drunk. While these people with no money, they starve to death. 
You who are Jews, and this is what the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter got in a fight about, you Jews will not take the Lord's Supper with you Gentiles. Those of you who are circumcised aren't doing it with those who aren't circumcised. Division. You are doing the opposite of what the table does. The table brings everyone to one level and one table. What I just described to you is what we do with church right now. One church looks a certain way and does certain things. One church has money. One church doesn't have money. And we find ways to take the Lord's table and we make our own table. But see, this is about there being only one table, only one king, only one family. And anything else in this world that would separate us at the table is broken. And if you're not willing to submit to that, that's when you have no place at the table. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? And he comes back all nasty and stinky, and his sin is literally on him. The smell of what he has done is on him. And the father puts this, his cloak around him and his ring and his sandals, and he sits somewhere at the table. And the older son, he does what? He leaves. You see, the only thing that disqualifies you from the table of God, and I'll even say this, in, in the Gospels, the table, the banquet, the party, whatever the reference is, that's how Jesus talks about salvation. So I'll just slide that across the table to you. The only thing that disqualifies you according to the teachings of Jesus is if you're unwilling to sit at that table with those who he invites. It's the only thing which disqualifies you is when you turn down the invitation. Oh, amen. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 41. I've been using the, the, uh, the CEB translation lately. If you haven't seen that before, it's a, it's a solid translation. It's used by mainliners. You say, what's that? Uh... Basically, old churches, <laughs> churches that have been around for a long time. Uh, the CEB, I really enjoy it. It's basically an updated model of the NRSV. And so I really enjoy it. It's a solid one. It's not heresy or something outside the scope of what you'd say orthodoxy. Again, half of you don't care about this, but some people say, what translation are you using? And that's why. Here we go. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. This is after Pentecost, okay? The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. Let me just, what's amazing for me in this passage, if you would have sat down with me probably five years ago and you asked me what is the highlight of this passage, I would have been like, look, signs and wonders. The apostles are doing crazy stuff. Bam! 
You sit down with me today, I say, what? How many times was food mentioned? I like food. (laughs) Think about this. If you have 3,000 people who are in town who don't live here, okay, because you have to remember this. These people are in town for a, a special celebration, a feast, okay? And you have all these people who are now inducted, baptized that day to be a part of your community, okay, which hasn't even existed yet, and they're not wanting to go home but their jobs and their livelihoods and their homes are out there. What's going to be a harder thing to figure out? How to do signs and wonders or how to feed and house these people? Think about that. What's going to be a greater sign to people everywhere around you? Now, understand this. The group of followers of Jesus prior to this moment was less than people on campus today. There were less followers of Jesus that morning than who are in on this campus today. And they had the responsibility of taking care of 3,000 people. Now, we assume that those are, those are mostly counting men. So who knows what the number really is? We don't really know. Who wants to foot the bill? Imagine one meal, just one meal. Who wants to cover that one? Few people are going to have that just kind of sitting in their bank accounts, right? Oh, sure, I got it. It's all on me, man. Few of us, even if we pulled our resources from bank accounts, would be able to even pay for that over a month span. So what's left? Goodness, man. I'll sell my house. Do you see how this naturally evolves? And the Spirit of God moves in them. And what's so crazy is it's this central thing. It's how they feed people and who gets to eat at this table, which is what the book of Acts talks about. Have you ever heard the word deacons before? Do you remember what deacons were created for? Who's going to take care of the food? Who's going to take care of the meals? Because guess what? All the Gentiles, all the foreign, all the foreigners... They speak different languages, and they're not from here. And somehow, every time that we meet for this sacred meal, they're being left out. So you, you men, you deacons, it's your job to make sure that they don't get left out of the meal anymore. Are you starting to see how the story really works together? And then they take this practice, and they begin to send it to all the new churches that are being planted. And so the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul start getting this fight because the question is, well, For them to sit at the sacred meal, should they be circumcised? Okay, I lost on that one. (laughs) That's okay. You get it. This issue goes from the beginning of the book of Acts all the way to the end. This was the central struggle. How do you integrate people who are different? Now, if if you have been here for a month and you're still coming, God bless you, okay? Most make it about two weeks, okay, so you are a faithful person. <laughs> it didn't take long to notice that we have a lot of difference here, whether it's financially or education or, or it's color, age. We have a lot of difference at this church. And I'll just tell you this, to keep this many difference in the same place takes an awful lot of work. 
And it wouldn't work if it wasn't one of the top priorities that we have as a leadership team. It's one of our biggest dreams is to have a church that is different from each other. To not have a church with a young pastor and all they have is young families. Let me tell you, it's not hard to do that. What's hard is to have a young pastor and have people who, we'll just move on. I'm kidding around. <laughs> Wisdom, yes, that's the key. The book of Acts is central on how the Spirit of God is moving to lead the people of God to be a people, to be a community. And what I love about this, this passage in Acts is it ends, it doesn't end by saying, and all these people were saved and they're going to heaven, amen. It says all these people are now being brought into the what? The community. The end, the end goal is not just heaven. God is working to make a people on the earth. And he has a name for it, the church. Now, last thing I want to hit about this meal, what it does for us, it forces us to get down to face-to-face. What I love uh, about our practice of, of communion as we have everyone come down to the front. Um, I'll be honest with you, if I weren't up here, I'd be very awkward down there. That's just my nature. Okay, I seem a little bit extroverted, but I'm really not. Okay, and so it'd make me very awkward to come in long lines. Uh, the worst thing all week, um, go pick up my kindergartner, and there's a line you have to walk, and you got to wait in line with a bunch of people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You have no idea how much my skin crawls. I love people. I just, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I love you. I just, whew, the amount of energy that goes into me having to be personable, having to control my face. I'm really not angry, I promise. It's just my face. I promise I'm not. Here's something. The kingdom of God is not supposed to be expressed from pulpits. Um, from stadiums, from crusades. These are all good things. Obviously, I'm doing one of them, right? These aren't terrible things. But the kingdom of God was birthed from Jesus spending time with his disciples and the followers and the curious around meals. And it continued from there to the first church, to the ancient church, all the way through history to us. The kingdom of God is supposed to be expressed here, face to face. And see, all the good things of God, whether it's the Spirit of God manifesting, the Scriptures of God, the love of God, these things should be expressed out of laughter and conversation, tears and mourning. This is what the presence of Jesus manifests around us. I used to think, man, if we could just have this amazing service and we all just kind of got whipped up, you know, emotionally, we're all excited, you know, it's almost like a, like, like a Razorback game, and we could just have that amazing moment, then we'd all be good. But I've come to learn that there are things that happen face-to-face when you know someone's name, when you listen to what they're going through. There are ways that God shows up in that that you can't ever have in this environment. All expression of the kingdom of God must be rooted at the table where the heart and the purpose of the kingdom is found. I'm not saying that the only part of being a Christian is to go around having meals with people. It's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is the heart of why we do what we do. The reason that we're willing to pray for someone to, to meet their need, to clothe them, to, you know, to take care of the orphans, the reason that we do these expressions of love is rooted here. Because God loves us, we love you. And this is what rooted, this is what makes the Christian faith fleshy. Come on. This is what makes it human. How about that? Human. Better? <laughs> Don't laugh too hard at me, Garrett. Come on now. <laughs> I used to think that the, that the Christian faith had to be expressed spirit. Spirit only, spirit primary. That's the only way the faith should be expressed is through supernatural and visible ways, which those are crucial. And we do see those at work at the same time in the book of Acts. We'll talk about those at a different time. The part that I didn't realize is that it wasn't only to be expressed that way, and that the primary expression of the kingdom of God was, uh-oh, I lost the word, human about that. We don't have a faith about this God who, who floats up in the ether and sends down these bolts of fire, and he's so amazing and powerful and scary. That sounds like the God that we heard about in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that later. And we have a bunch of sermons to get to, don't we? We have a God who centers our understanding of who he is when he came in the form of a carpenter and bled out on a cross. Human, tactile, real, touchable, approachable, understandable. This is where the Christian faith starts. There's so much to it, but it has to start here. I remember I used to feel like to be an effective whatever for God, had to go out to the grocery store and just be praying for people. Jesus, blah, 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 be healed or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> you're a bad sinner. Say you're sorry. You know, I don't, I don't know what I was doing. Got kicked out of plenty of grocery stores, I'm sure. And so, so many people just, <laughs> don't, you quit. You can't laugh at me. I had to go over here now. Arnie, straight face. We have to start with what we can control, with what we can do. The expression of the kingdom of God starts with how we express love, kindness, accepted, compassion. Out of these things, you will see the presence of God show up and do supernatural things that we cannot do on our own. But it starts when we do the natural expressions of God's love. This is where the power begins. I want to share something real quick before we... You know, it's... Um, everything about the kingdom for us needs to come from an approach of extending the table. Meaning, the way that, that Jesus treats me and the way that he instructs me to treat people at the table, this is how I even if you would evangelize. This is how I share God in my life. I treat everyone as if we are on the same plane. Does that make sense? Every separation and boundary and barrier that the world sees, I approach it as I approach the table. We're on the same level. There's no separation between us. The way that I see you, the way that I care about you, the way that I love you, it might not even have reason attached to it, but I do. 
And this is how we bring the kingdom of God on the earth. We begin to take the sacrificial love of God, meaning we put others first. To sacrifice, meaning we put them first in the way we express the love of God. Would you guys stand with me?